Hello and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. This week, there's some ten- tension in the room between some sisters. I don't even know what to say here. Uh, we watched Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, and we're going to be talking about it. But before we get started, how was your week? My week was very entertaining, and I had uh, a good deal of fun. It, it started out rough, but, you know, worked through it. How was As yours? per usual. It was yes. good. Uh, I had a restorative weekend. Good. That started do? out. As I'm going to clean my room and ended up Uh, with just piles of clean clothes and expectations strewn about. So I didn't clean my room, y'all. But I'm still working on it. And by clean my room, I mean organize my space. Because can you say, I gotta clean my room when you're 42 years old? I don't know. I did. And it's true. So you want to get started on this movie? Yes. So this movie has um, a a a legacy. Right. A history, a legacy. Uh, there's a television show <laughs> about, about the, this, making, the making of right. this movie, um, which I have not seen. Did mm-hmm. you see any of it? No, I I didn't know what to make of it. I sh- we should say it is called... The it's book called is Feud. Betty and Joan, The Divine Feud. Okay. And this is by uh, t- Sean Considine. And the television series is a Ryan Murphy joint called Feud. Right. And um, Ryan Murphy, often, bless him, can play fast and loose with historical characters. Of course he can. Yeah, um, I didn't. that's one of the reasons I didn't see this. Right. I know that there were people who are portrayed in the film who were still alive mm-hmm. and took umbrage with the, their portrayal in the film. And to right. me, that means I shouldn't I'm very, I've become in this sort of uncomfortable with the, the, this kind of storytelling. Where you're taking actual living people in their lifetimes. Well, I, and I suppose in a way that that's better than taking people who are just past and can't defend themselves. But um, but yes, I didn't I didn't see it because actually I don't I don't really care enough about either one of these actresses. Oh, there's that. I mean, mm. I'll probably watch it eventually because I'll probably watch everything eventually because. Well, they keep me keep making new stuff, so maybe mm. not. But the cast of it seems right. very good yes, the cast and of appealing. The, of the t- of dramatization seems really good. But like, it's an eight-hour mm-hmm. situation. Probably not eight hours, right? Forty forty minutes times eight, so six hours. But still, that's a long time. This movie uh, was long enough, and I could just rewatch this movie. Right. And you kind of get the vibe, like. Yes, both of these actresses are extraordinarily skilled. The actresses, of course, mm. that we're talking about are Betty Davis and um, Joan Crawford. Crawford. I always get stuck on Joan because I want to go Alan, and that's wrong. Mm. <laughs> uh, so Betty Davis and Joan Crawford playing Jane and Blanche, respectively. Um, and most of the movie is one or the other, or the two of them. Yes. Like, I'd say probably 90% of the movie is one or the other, or the two of them together. And, uh, y- yes, good actresses, but also, there's some scenes in here where I'm like, I think she really just hit her in the face. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> like, the response looked like a woman who had been expecting 
one type of hit and received yes. a very different. She was type expecting of hit. a stage slap, and yes. she got a, an actual slap across the face. Or in one case, um, there's a scene where Blanche, uh, not Blanche, excuse me. Um, well, uh, Blanche is knocked down and out of her wheelchair. Yeah. And Jane kicks her in the face. Yes. And I remember commenting to you at the time, it's like, wow, she really looked like she kicked her in the face. Yeah. And to kick someone in the face yes. is, that's extreme. There are very few people on the right. planet right now who, if you said you need to kick them in the face, I would be like, okay. And <laughs> the rumor is that she actually just laid into her. Um, even though the subsequent kicking on, uh, well, she's lying on the ground, uh, was off screen, she was still actually kicking her for real. So, alright, yeah. So these two women, and, and, and the, the thought around it is that each of them thought that they were the star of this film. Mm -hmm. And so, the fact that the other one thought they were the star of this film rubbed them the wrong way. I, I, it makes me sad because the reality is you cannot make this movie without either of them. Both of these parts are pivotal to the film, period. Right. Uh, they're co-stars and co-leads. They have almost the same amount of dialogue, probably. Yeah. Like, it's pretty evenly split. Um, and so the fact that these two women couldn't just get on board with that. And I don't know how many movies prior to this had co-lead women. There weren't many films where you had women of that age. That's that's true as well. Right. Both of these um, women were... It's important to remind audiences that they were both huge stars in yeah. the 30s and 40s. And that these were women who pushed forward with their career, and they, like Catherine Hepburn, like a few others, Push the boundaries of what women could do. Betty Davis was in Now Voyager. Betty Davis was in Of Human Bondage. Betty Davis was um, in The Little Foxes and All About Eve. And All About Eve, which was one of my favorite movies. Uh, growing up, oddly enough, it was about uh, the theatrical world. And she just does this outstanding kind of part as an aging actress who is being thrown over for a younger actress who's playing right. the same part. Right. Um, and Joan Crawford, who I personally always found a little bit odd and strange. She was also, she had a career that started in silent films. Wow. Yeah. And so you had these two actresses who, at this point in their career, in the 1960s, are being sort of pushed aside. Right, of course. Because there's always younger, fresher mm -hmm. talent, so to speak, from producers. And producers at the time were ruthless. Yeah. Uh, I remember talking to you about, um, I won't say the producer's name, but when he was going through talent, he saw Peter Falk and said, why should I hire you for the same amount I can get a guy with two eyes? Because Peter Falk had a glass eye. That's how... I didn't know that Peter Falk had a glass right. eye. That's how... Um, yeah, no. Guess what, though? Right. They're not better now. Right. <laughs> like, well, we'd like to think that there's some progress. Um, there are some that are better right. now. But those people still exist, and those, a lot of them right. are at the top of the major companies that 
there's a you are know, making decisions right the, the now. producer who told uh, Meryl Streep when she tried out for Jessica Lange's part in King Kong in the seventies, you're just too ugly to be the lead of this you're film. You're too ugly to be yes. And you you think to yourself, there's not even like a basic humanity to that. No, no. It's just and that's I'm going thing, to feel bigger by making you feel smaller. That's the thing about being an actress, though. Mm. You even now, I have heard enough working actors, right say you have to leave your humanity at the door like you can't take it personally you can't and of course you're going to of course you are mm-hmm. but you can't <laughs> so good luck with that and it's a good thing there are a lot of therapists in LA because yeah it's yeah th- this film it's it's interesting in that it is about hollywood and about the beginnings of the, of the film industry and it's also about the way that producers sort of found young women disposable. And that once they're older, there's not a market for them anymore. Yeah, which is... The film itself, um, Robert Aldrich, who, again, was a we very... We just saw him... In The Dirty Dozen. With The Dirty Dozen. Which is about as macho as you can get. And and then he does... And those men right. didn't fight, didn't claw at, literally claw at each other no. for billing or... Mm-hmm. Because they didn't have to. Right. Because you could have seven dudes or 12 dudes and everybody got their bit and everybody got... Right. And everybody got... Right. Everybody got their, their piece. Right. But two women? Oh, no. We can't And the other thing is it's these two women. Um, Joan Crawford was notorious for... Not wanting to share the screen. Just generally? Generally. She did a movie called Johnny Guitar with Mercedes McCambridge, who we saw last week. Yes. In Touch of Evil. And Mercedes McCambridge plays a really angry, sexually frustrated woman who's angry because Joan Crawford, or her, the man she's in love with, is in love with Joan Crawford. And so she has a scene that she just eats up the screen. She straps on six guns. She starts shooting people. Mercedes McCambridge does. And she got applauded by everyone behind the scenes, like the camera operator was applauding her. She goes back to her trailer and finds out that Joan Crawford has taken a razor blade to all of her clothes. And it was just, it was one of those incredibly petty, nasty things. But I think that Aldrich, like we talked about, you know, Oliver Stone did earlier with Platoon, and we talked about Aldrich with The Dirty Dozen. He knew how to cast people, so he cast two women who just couldn't stand each other. It's also he an odd... probably a, played into it, too. It, yes, and it's a very weird casting choice because mm-hmm. Blanche, Joan Crawford's character, is older than mm-hmm. Jane, Betty Davis's character. But in actuality, uh-huh. Betty Davis was 16 years... No, 12 years... Mm, hold on. She was born in 1908 to 1924. So 16, 16 years... Older than Joan Crawford was, which they wanted her to look older because she had been uh, abusing alcohol right. heavily for a long time. And that's one of the, I was looking over the, the synopsis of the book, and that's one of the points of the book was that Blanche abstained and kept up her appearance for reasons that we'll learn later on when we go through the story. Um, I mean, not Blanche did. Uh, yeah, Blanche did. Yeah. And that Jane kind of went to seed right away. Yeah. But she then. was already, I mean, this also, this movie also is about the the trauma of child 
performers. Yes, it is. <laughs> in, a, in a very real and kind of real visceral way yeah. where you're just like, oh, she doesn't know how to be a person. Right. Like, she just doesn't know. Um, so she was, when this film was made, uh, she, Betty Davis, was, mm-hmm. um, sorry, I'm counting on my fingers. <laughs> okay. About 54 years old. Mm. And uh, Joan Crawford was under th- under 40, playing, as I say, at least three years older. It's hard to tell at the beginning. I don't, this, this write-up that you sent me may actually have that information. Um, but, so that is another, almost like they are giving them more reasons to fight. <laughs> like just, really? you know, giving them more reasons to fight. And this, this movie takes place, um, over a stretch of time between 1917 and 1962. Mm-hmm. Most of the film, everything after like the first 15 minutes, there's like a 10 minute section segment. And then like maybe an eight minute segment with a very pivotal scene. And then whoop, we jump to 1962, which, and, and the time, the 1962 chunk is about a week, week and a half. It's, it's like right. seven to 10 days. Yeah. Which is interesting. I like the way there's a title card announcing 1917. Yeah. 1935. And the final one is yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. Which gave a, an interesting sense of immediacy. Right. Um, this is happening right, right. now. Um, so we start in 1917 with baby Jane Hudson, a ringleted blonde child who is drawing sellout crowds for a live performance where she sings and dances. That's what it is. Right. Let me be clear. This child is not particularly talented. Yes. Um, even from here, we see this girl sing a couple of songs and she emotes, but she's not, she does not have a lovely voice. And when we see her after the show and the way that she behaves, she does not have a lovely ness about her. She's um spoiled. She's a brat. But you also see that she is being brought up that way. Her right. father is uh terrible to Blanche, who is standing there plain, looking very much like Melissa Gilbert from uh Little House on the Prairie. Just, you know, brown haired, mm-hmm. uh braids, two braids, freckles on her face, just like and and her their their mother is like, don't worry, Blanche. One day, you know, you, you'll be the one that people are looking at. And she's like, I'm gonna remember how everybody treats me. <laughs> and um, because the dad is so placating to he's Jane, really because he's very much right. he's making money off of her, right. and so whatever keeps her you know, positive in the public eye and positive generally he's going to do. And he is terrible to Blanche because part of it, I think, is to show Jane that she's the favorite because she needs that reinforcement, which is only because he's done it once and it worked. So he did that. That's not a natural thing for that child to want. Um, And just because he doesn't, she's not making him any money, so... 
she doesn't right. And something that we should probably tell the audience to, um, she's a vaudeville performer. Sure. And vaudeville is not something that exists anymore. No. And to, to I thought she was going to be on a mo- in a movie, uh-huh. but then I realized 1917 that that wouldn't be the case. This girl is doing right. It's this. It's um, and it it reminds me of the America's Got Talent when they have little kids do right. performance. I'm like, the prize for the show is a Vegas like like residency. Mm-hmm. Children should absolutely not be on this show. Yeah, um, <sighs> vaudeville, and as the term. Uh, Suggest it was born in France. Right. And it's just a series of unrelated, a collection of acts. It is, when I was a kid, of course, vaudeville was long past. Yeah. But you had uh, on television variety shows. Yes. Where you would have some people dance, you'd have some people do stand up comedy, do yeah. stuff like that. And even late night talk shows are kind of yeah. a variant of what vaudeville was and like. And they'll still do things like that now, like around the holidays, mm-hmm. people will have right. variety shows. As like the throwback, Wayne Brady's done them. Right. Various Osmonds have done them. I I think Kelly Clarkson has done like. But also in Latin speaking countries. Oh, they telenovela yeah. on telenovela. Well, or not telenovela. Like, was the, yes. the big one when I was a kid. Right. So which on, went on I for hours, and it's just like I performers. Yeah, I, I don't know who's happening. But um, just so that the the audience, you know, that who's listening right now. Can be aware of it. It's it was a very strange, different kind of world, but it's that's the, the best parallel I can yeah, think of. Yeah, and she's doing like soft shoe dancing, and right. she's and they're all songs about how much she loves daddy. Yes, it's very strange. It's, and there's a lot of weird, both adult and child sexual dynamics in this film. And they're selling a life size doll of this child at, for three dollars and twenty five cents, which mm-hmm. in 1917 money is a f- ton of money. Right. I think that's like rent for a week. Like, what? Oh, woof. Okay. So, and then yeah, she has a little meltdown about ice cream and everybody uh, placates her. Although the the adults in the audience are like, damn. Right. Gross. And yet you're still here. So. Because mm. you're placating your own kid. And then we go to 1935. And in 1935 we see, well we find out Basically, is that both of them are now acting mm-hmm. in movies. Blanche is very good. Jane is very bad. And not only is Jane bad, she's drinking heavily. So we're talking about 11 years later. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's not right. 17, 27, 35, 17 years later, 18 years later, 18 years later. So she's... See, the math is tricky, because I want to say she's eight in the first thing. Right. So now we're talking about a 26-year-old, but she seems much younger than that, the woman that is playing Mm. her. So, but say mid-20s. Right. And then we do see a couple of producers talking about how Jane's footage is absolutely unusable. She's terrible. And the fact that Blanche is looking so good in the things that she's doing makes Jane look even worse. <laughs> this is also kind of fun because it's very, um, at this point, it gets very meta. Yeah. Because the actresses are, as you mentioned, in their 40s and their 50s. Yeah. Actresses later on in the third segment of the yes. film. But rather than hire a younger actress to play the same part, which is never quite successful for me, especially with older actors, because I know what that act, I, I know that Clint Eastwood, Patrick Warburton, 
does not turn into Clint Eastwood when I'm watching Space Cowboys. Is that the the age up in Space Cowboys? I can't remember. You know, there's a but there's a, a scene where you know him and Tommy Lee Jones, and as younger men, they're played by these other actors. I didn't, like, yeah, I didn't realize who he's, played. He's doing who, a great but, yeah. squint, but he's well. It's the right. It's the it, the other problem is that Clint Eastwood. We know what he looked like. Right, we right? do. We have a whole we record what of what he looked like. like. Same thing with Bruce Willis. When Bruce Willis is played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right. the younger man, you're like, ooh. Except I know what he looked like when he was that age because I've seen Moonlighting. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there's a... Yeah. And although I, I have to admit, Patrick Warburton squinted very convincingly, um, he still, it's like, no, that's not... That's funny. Although that's funny that he's doing that, but... But sometimes it works pretty well. So, yeah, but it's it's hard. That is difficult. And especially for an actor who we have seen on screen. I mean, soon enough, they're just going to take the old footage and... Right. Um, but... What I liked about this film is that while the producers are, the way that they handle that is they're looking over footage from each of these characters' movies and they found a scene that Betty Davis is obviously just walking her way through that she yeah. doesn't, you know, movies she did not give a crap about. This is not of human bondage. This is not, right. you know, Little Foxes. This is not well, Jezebel. Not also, every scene in every movie isn't mm-hmm. dialed right. up to a 10 necessarily. But yeah, this is but this is just a scene where she's obviously doesn't. Or it's the fifth in the sure. contract, and right. I just need to get it done and get. The and out then there's here. contrasting a scene of Joan Crawford acting, you know, and, and so I thought that was a very clever touch because you didn't, don't see. I didn't clock that, but right. I did know that I was like, "That's Betty Davis. Like right. that's for sure, Betty Davis. She's very distinct, especially when she's younger. She's distinctive here, mm-hmm. but that's because they are." Making her distinctive looking. In yes, this. and um, and that's why she got nominated for the Academy Award for this. Yes, um, and it, one of the things that Roger Ebert said in reviewing this movie, and several others have, is like, yes, there was a rivalry between these two actresses, and yes, they both should have been nominated. They absolutely both should have been nominated. But I understand why they. Betty didn't Davis do that. just really, and this is something I don't see how Robert Aldrich convinced him to do this, but. The consensus among critics, or the question among critics, is how on earth did he get them to just shatter their glamour reputation like this? I would say that both of them did not do that, but Betty Davis 100% did. I don't think that Joan Crawford shattered her, her glamour in this. I think that she is glamorous and fragile through this whole movie in a way that Betty just sheds she's <laughs> it's clearest when she's talking or when she does the voices right. which we'll talk about but like she's stripped of makeup but her skin looks fucking flawless and she's lit in angelic light and for the first ha- several scenes of her in in 1962 she looks beatific she looks mm-hmm like an angel um and presents herself in that very like i'm light i'm happy i'm full of joy and and that's not it's obviously not real (laughs) but um betty doesn't get to do any of that she is she's off of all of her rockers but we should before we talk about when we get to that there is a scene, this is the pivotal, pivotal, pivotal scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, two people who, who we only see from the knee down. Right. 
And really, we yes, we only see them from the knee down. Uh, coming back home in a in a car, one gets out to open the wrought iron gate, and the other puts the car in neutral or maybe drive, and does run into somebody, and then they're screaming, and then. We get that yesterday time thing. And so we know that there was a car accident wherein somebody got hit by a vehicle. Right. We don't know that because that's not what happened, everybody. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. But that's what we see and that's what we presume. And then you're like, oh, shit. Who ran over whom? Then immediately you see, well, you start with the neighbors and they're talking shit about um, well, they're saying Blanche, Blanche's movies are being shown on television now. Right. So this is this is the catalyst. So this is the modern... This modern is 1962, which is mm-hmm. yesterday, right? But it's 1962. And the catalyst for the events of the film, mm-hmm. of most of the film, of the current part of the film, is that Blanche's movies are being shown on television and she's getting uh, accolades, even right. if it's just from the neighbors. Um and and uh, Jane's movies are not not <laughs> so they're well, yes, having an yeah. entire like all of her movies are being shown this week on television, which in 1962 was a big deal because there were three channels or something like that. Like everybody is watching these right. films, and so she's excited because she's gonna like gonna be maybe back in the public eye. Now we see her; she's in a wheelchair on the second floor of a house, which is wild, um, and. Jane is taking care of her. Uh, the neighbor calls Jane her, uh, her I think her uh, ugly fat sister. And I'm like, to call this woman fat when you, because I, I, I saw that woman and I was like, she's big for this time period. She was wearing pants, which mm-hmm. was an, another weird thing. And I was like, you're going to call Betty Davis fat? Because Betty Davis is not fat in this movie by any stretch of the imagination. There's some jowliness to her, and she is rimming her eyes in coal, which is not, not the look. look. It's not the look for her. It's not the look for her. So, Joan Crawford, Blanche, upstairs, basically trapped in a wheelchair. So then now your brain goes, oh shit, did Jane run over Blanche? Um, And then... Jane is making her food and things. And I'm like, why would you? (laughs) My first thought was, why would you eat anything that this woman cooked for you if she hit you with her car? Um, And you don't know for a long time what they think happened or what, you know, what ended up up happening. Later, you see those same neighbors talking about how Jane showed up a couple of days later blacked out in a hotel room with somebody she'd never known before and didn't know what had happened to Blanche. Yeah. And the studio swept it under the rug, but the idea was everybody knew that Jane did this to Blanche. And I'm like, once again, then, why is Jane able to be the caretaker of the woman that she hit with a car try and left for dead? It's because... That's not what happened. <laughs> um, but everybody thinks that's what happened, including Jane. Jane yeah. also believes that this Mind is what you, happened. Very interesting. Uh, Anna Lee plays Mrs. 
uh, Bates' next door neighbor. Mrs. Bates, that's right. Which um, made me laugh. <laughs> Every time her, I get a Bates, I laugh. Her daughter, yeah. the girl that you'd mentioned, yeah. is actually um, Betty Davis's actual real life daughter. And she's the one who calls, calls her, her mom Fatten. <laughs> cool. I sister. bet that went over fat, super yeah, well. Her fat sister's wandering around all the time. Yeah. So I only ever see her fat sister. And it's because Blanche is trapped on the yes. second floor of this house, which they do own. Um, they're doing fine money-wise, we think. Mm. Uh, there is a plan we find out that Blanche is putting into motion to sell the house. It is, she tells Jane when they talk about it later that they're running out of money and they need to sell the house and downsize into something um, a little bit more economical. It's not clear if that's true. Right. Yeah. It's because never, their, their finances are never She really also seems to cleared out. say this is the perfect opportunity for you to go and get some help. So mm-hmm. she ties it or touches it together with. Yes. And you could get, you know, you could stay at a really nice place where they'll take care of you, these yeah. men in white jackets. Yes. Yes, because there is an ongoing conversation between her and her maid, and then uh, later her and a doctor, mm-hmm. um, about the fact that Jane is a severe alcoholic. Right. And is emotionally unstable, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, That's the kindest way to put it, yes. It's, I don't want to be ableist and I don't want to say the wrong thing about her character, but it is clear that she never really, her, her emotional age is stunted in a, mm. in a way that reminds me of somebody like um, Michael Jackson. Right. Where. That's a fair example. They actually. never had a childhood mm-hmm. that was really a childhood. And so they never were able to grow out of childhood into adulthood emotionally, mm. mentally. Whether that was because they were being treated terribly by parents, yep, check. Uh, whether that's because they were being enabled by friends and handlers, yep, check. <laughs> whether that's a, a baseline issue that they may have had regardless, but we and they were just more susceptible to being damaged this way, that's probable. Not every child star ends up like this, but there are many that do. Um, And she doesn't... She doesn't really understand the world, uh, what it is to be an adult. Like, I was... when When the movie started, or like when we got about 45 minutes into the movie, I was like... What's the over-under that both of these women are virgins? And now that I've done the math, it's likely that in the 1935 time period, they were both they Well, were both I don't think that Blanche involved. is. Excuse me. I don't think that... Um, Jane is. Jane is. Blanche was married, I think. Okay. At one point. Um, I'm not sure if that was the case. I'm trying to remember. I know that, you know, Jane was found in a hotel Jane room with some guy. Jane was found in a hotel guy, room right. with some guy, but that doesn't necessarily mean... If she was disassociating... Right. She may not have recollection of sex. Um, and the way that she relates to the man, the one man in mm-hmm. this movie later, indicates that she doesn't really right. understand. She's got a very childlike um, relate, w- relation. Like the way that right. she's relating to this man is very much like if you were 14 and had a crush or yeah. 13 and had a crush, like very young. 
like old enough to understand what parts are and that maybe you mush them together, but like mm. the actual implications of that, uh, maybe even younger, maybe like eight, like the, you know, making your Barbie dolls kiss and things like that. Like it's that kind of thing. And, and so, yeah, I don't, but they do say she was in a motel room with a man right. and she would have been in her mid twenties in Hollywood doing drugs and drinking. Right. It's likely that she was, she got herself into intimate situations, mm. but whether or not she was compass mentis during those interactions right. is really up for debate, which is frankly pretty fucking terrible. Um, and there's a th Blanche has called the uh, liquor store and basically cut her sister off. And that is sort of an impetus to uh, Jane really taking a hard left turn into torturing her sister mm. um, and trying to break free out of the path that she's being led down, which is presumably going to be being put in some sort of a sanitarium or right. rehab facility. But in the, 1962, a rehab facility was often a sanitarium. The only people who seem to be aware that something's really wrong, well, there's a few. Um, there's a doctor. The doctor, yes. Who... Um, who who we Blanche's, hear about uh -huh. a lot and then do see at the end. We do see a phone call with him at the end. Right, and he's played end. by uh, Rob, uh, Robert Cornthwaite, who was the professor in The Thing. Okay. We mentioned at the time right. that he was playing much older, and yeah. here he's closer to the age, years and later. But he's almost... Uh, right. Um, he's unrecognizable because he's yes. wearing so much prosthetics and like a crazy wig and facial hair. Right. In the thing. And and whatnot, yeah. To make him look older. And uh -huh. now it's like, Oh, that's that. That's, I guess what he actually looks like. He's aware that something's wrong. Um, the next door neighbor who's played by Anna Lee. Yeah. Who's an actress I like because she was in uh, some of, um, uh, Val Luton's films. Uh huh. She's also aware that something's wrong. And the maid. And the maid, who's played by Elvira Strait, or State, who's uh, played by uh, Maddie Norman. Yes, and she's great. And she loves Blanche uh -huh. and tolerates Jane. It's so funny because the first time she comes in, she has to go through Jane, and then she goes upstairs. And as soon as Blanche sees her, she's like, oh, you've seen Jane. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can tell by your whole vibe. But she's, <laughs> being that she's in the house, she's only there once a week or twice a week, something like that. Um, she does not like the fact that Jane can effectively cut off all communication with with uh, um, Blanche. Yes, and will work Blanche, very hard. She to knows do that. that Blanche is at she's at a disadvantage here. Mm -hmm. If Jane wanted to do Blanche harm, yeah. she absolutely could. She's at her mercy. She's at her mercy. Um, which is once again, there's. No one we can call. Like, uh, there's CPS. There mm -hmm. are, uh, I guess, if you're, I guess before the ADA, um, there wasn't some sort of social workers for those who are disabled mm -hmm. to yeah, make sure know. that they're not being abused mm. uh, in their living situations. There's elder now, right. and there is child now. 
Um, and there's disabled now, but I doubt that was a thing then, which is uh, terrifying. <laughs> Uh, so and so, yeah. So Elvira is keenly aware that uh, if Jane goes down, Blanche could very well be going down with her because she doesn't, she can't do yeah. anything. Like she's trapped on the second floor of this house with no phone. The phone is downstairs in the foyer. Right. Well, there is a phone There's in her room. Phone. Oh, is that there? she pulls out of the wall? Oh, okay, that's right. Um, earlier in the film, and. It, yeah, she she um, she starts manipulating her or terrifying her. There's a yes. So there's Jane a couple of scenes starts, involving dinner uh, or Jane lunch. Starts. Um, she, she gets wind that something's going on. That first of all, her liquor was. Um, she wasn't supposed to be getting liquor because she calls to order a. Wild liquor order, y'all. She orders six bottles of scotch and three bottles of gin. Uh-huh. And what do we have next week? My, I've never, like an alcoholic typically has a, a booze of choice. Mm. And if they don't have a booze of choice, they have a booze color of choice. They're a yeah. dark liquor drinker or they are a light liquor drinker. And this bitch ordered scotch, which is a dark liquor, and gin, which is a light liquor. And I I don't know what order she drinks those in. I don't know if she's mixing the two together at a two-to-one ratio, which is why she needs six of one and three of the other. I, I can't I it's it's baffling to me as a person who has known alcoholics in her life and witnessed how they usually behave around alcohol. There are several scenes in this movie where Betty Davis does a Joan Crawford impersonation, specifically mm-hmm. a Blanche impersonation. Right. And I still don't know if that shit is dubbed because it is dead fucking on. It's deeply creepy mm-hmm. because she like her face changes the way that she holds her mouth changes and she just does. She, and, and for the rest of the movie, for whatever reason, she's got almost like a, like a Bronx accent. Like she's right. got a New York accent. Her voice is gravelly as shit because both of these bitches smoke constantly. So her voice is super gravelly and she's got a, a, a an East coast accent. Um, well, Joan Crawford has a mid Atlantic accent. There's almost no accent there, mm. which is Joan Crawford's thing. Cause she beat her natural accent, apparently out of her body. Mm. Um, she worked extremely hard on it. And so, yeah, she has like, she's got the no accent accent, <laughs> that mid Atlantic, uh, mm. television presenter accent. Um, and, but the tone, everything about it is dead on. And I'm just like, I legitimately cannot tell if this was dubbed over right. or if Betty Davis can do an impersonation that good. I can't, I don't know. I'm going to look for uh, an answer to that because it is, it's uncanny. It's unsettling. That might be the scariest part of this movie to me. Um, so um, she starts, we see her practicing because Blanche at one point says, well, who's going to like, I need to sign the checks. The money is mine. Right. Because the money that they're living off of is 
the money that she made from her movies. Not the money that Jane made from vaudeville or movies, but Blanche, it's Blanche's money that they're both living on. And, and uh, Jane is her caretaker. She makes her meals. And um, that's really all we see her do. Uh, one of those meals involves um, her pet bird. By her, I mean Blanche's pet bird. She says that she Jane comes and takes the cage with the bird in it. And she says, oh, I was cleaning the cage and the bird flew away. Sorry. She's, <laughs> and that's about how sorry she sounds. And then that night for dinner... Under the cloche, bird, dead bird, um, which freaks Blanche out. And so the next night, when a meal is brought to her, she's too afraid to lift the cloche because she's afraid there's going to be a dead animal under there. And then uh, Jane comes in and is like, well, I'm not bringing you breakfast because you never ate any dinner. Um, and she's like, well, I din was too din. afraid. Din din. Yeah, she's like, din din. Um, She's like, well, I was too afraid. It's because you frightened me. And she pulls up the cloche and there's, it's just a meal. It's just mm-hmm. a steak or whatever. And she's like, that's delicious. And she takes it away. And then, of course, that night for dinner, she delivers uh, a meal and it is a dead rat. So, yeah, Jane's really fucking with Blanche. And what can Blanche do? Fuck all because she is trapped on the second right. floor of this house. You know what isn't on the second floor of this house? A kitchen. There's several attempts to communicate with the neighbors. Yes. And that's kind of frustrating because um, Jane always discovers it in the nick of time. Yes. So she she also knows then that Blanche is plotting against her. Even if she doesn't fully understand all of the implications. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think she fully understands much. Um, And I am still unclear, like I said, um, I think before we started recording whether her psychosis and she's definitely psychotic right um jane is betty davis's jane is psychotic but i can't tell if she's psychotic because of alcohol induced psychosis because she's just so drunk or just so brain fried by the amount of alcohol that she's ingested in her life or if it's from whatever stunting happened to her as a child or if she just was, you know, a bad seed. I don't, mm. you know, if she, if that psychosis was just there. Oh, it, uh, fundamentally, it doesn't matter. It's a kind of all of the above. All of the, all of those things probably contribute. And, uh, yeah, she's, she's not altogether, altogether. <laughs> um, yeah, um, Blanche throws a, a note out the window badly. <laughs> and it gets picked up by Jane. Like, it's just, and see, Jane, the only... Jane has made sure that Elvira doesn't come back. She keeps putting her off. She keeps putting her off. She says, um, right. you get the day off. Here's your $15. Don't worry, I'll pay you. And Elvira's like, I don't... It's not about being paid. And she's like, it's fine. Just take your $15. Take the day off. And we'll see you the next time you're supposed to come around. Like, she doesn't fire her right mm-hmm. away. But then the next time she comes around, she does fire her. Right. And she also moved... Because Jane has been taking... Um, mail, fan mail. Yes. That's been going, um, that's supposed to get to Blanche. Yes. Because of all of the recent because exposure. Because the exposure on the, on the movies, and which is probably what tipped her right. over the edge, was she's seeing this fan mail for her sister. And it makes her think about 
reviving her own career. Yes. And performing the same vaudeville songs. Yes. In so the same costumes or versions of the same versions costumes. Versions of the same costumes. So she puts an ad. She she practices Blanche's signature so she can write checks. Mm-hmm. Um, and she puts an ad in the newspaper for an accompanist. And she makes like a $100 purchase from a costumer. To and we find out later it's to make some up quote unquote updated versions of her costumes from when she was little. She's going to do the same I sent daddy a letter in heaven bits. Right. Like it's the same kind of hack. And her voice is I will say Betty Davis, I don't know if she could sing in real life. She watched what that girl did when that played mm. her younger self, and she nailed right. an aged performance of that original opening scene. Like, she nails it. It's spectacular to watch, because it's just like, oh, this is terrible. But then you, like, remember what you right. saw at the beginning, and you're like, this is it, though. This is 100% that little girl aged up with, you know, 45 barrels of liquor in her and you know lots of cigarettes a a, a forest of cigarettes exactly and um then well that's how we get introduced to another character yes so that's the one man as confused these are just some of the most messed up people yeah ever committed to film frankly victor buono Mm -hmm. as edwin flag he is a He's a Humpty Dumpty shaped <laughs> pianist mm-hmm. who lives with his deeply upsetting mother. Um, he appears, he's very young actually. Mm-hmm. The actor right. at this time is very young. Um, he's probably like 23 or something. He appears to be playing slightly older than that, but still too old to be. Even 23 is too old to be in his mother's house in this way. But he responds to this ad that um, Jane puts in the paper for an accompanist accompanist, and goes to the house. And Jane is like a little doting on him in a way that is upsetting (laughs) because she is significantly older than him. But also she doesn't seem to understand male-female dynamics. Like, that's kind of... And he, you said, um, the actor himself was gay. Mm -hmm. Um, And he doesn't... He doesn't really project strong masculinity. But he doesn't, like... He doesn't really project any kind of sexuality at all to me in the film. He is also a drunk. So that (laughs) that comes up uh, later. Um, and he's like, this is insane. Like, you can see her performing for him. And he's like, that's great. And she's like, I'll pay you X number, X amount. And this is what we're going to do. And da, da, da. And he's like, I mean, if you pay, like, that's a lot of time that you want for me. How are we going to, how am I going to do that with all my other things? He's like, she's like, I'll pay you a month in advance on Wednesday. And he's like, all right, whatever. You are an insane person. But, but if he doesn't you've got think that cash, she's going to succeed. I don't. His mother care. recently lost her job. Yeah. So, 
I think that he's doing it basically to escape. Yeah. There's a couple of it plays. He plays into some stereotypes. Yes. He's a large, heavy set man he who is. lives with his mother. He and looks like he's like six seven. He's so big. He's apparently six three. <laughs> okay. A little over six three, but the issue is he's very he's heavy set. Mm-hmm. And egg shaped, pear shaped. Right. It's like very wide in the middle. So he so when he's in scenes with tiny Betty Davis, yes. he just but physically they, Yeah, they also have him right. almost hitting his head on chandeliers and mm-hmm. stuff. Like they are playing right. up his size and she's like oh a man's coming to the house like right. that is how she it's yeah not even like oh this is a professional i'm gonna work with she defaults to it's a man and she goes on about making friends with him and how great friends are going to be and he really does his character is very strange because i don't i see him very cynically exploiting her for sure but i mean right. for how long you know what I mean? Like I think that he might just be off the minute he gets that first check because she's going to pay him in advance. That's true. That is true. Yeah, she might just he might just be waiting for that one check and then he'll disappear. Or and whatever. then at one point, you know, he's he's going to she invites him over to because she wants to begin working with him immediately. Yes. And so she's writing more checks or she's cashing more checks to have more available money income. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, yes, mon- just money uh, because she wants to pay him, and he comes over her house and that seems disturbing because his uh mother uh-huh is has a like she's really furious with him at going to work with baby jane hudson right who is a murderer right that is what that is when we, I, I thought it was the neighbor but you're right it is it is his mother who is right. like she tried to kill her sister and, he tried, knows and on everyone some, knows right. it is is how it is presented. He knows on some level that she is interested in him in a very in a way that is inappropriate between a relationship between um coworkers, sir, coworkers, yeah, yes, right. a boss <laughs> and an employee. Yes. I mean, I'm not going to say anything about age because I think it's, but um, no, there is a power imbalance, no. but also it's. It's not the way an adult woman would come on to a younger man. Right. It just isn't. It's the way a child would come on to an older man. And she, he's interested in that. He's putting on his aftershave. He's do, you know dressing up a little bit because when we first see him, he's very slovenly. Yeah. I mean, his shirt's untucked and he's eating a sandwich with one hand and playing a piano with the other. Yeah. So his and and he also is. I feel like he communicates with Jane because he's like her. They they start sharing stories about their parents. Yeah, they're both. And he's telling this sort of well. story that might be. Jesus. The story he tells her about how he's English, although he's never been to England. His father was English, but right. he's English, and so he says he. His father was classically trained in how he was an artist who performed Shakespeare. And so there's a kind of a fantasy... Yes, there's a fantasy level ...about his father, yeah. his missing father as well. Which, when his sister, or his mom is talking about how Jane Hudson left her left her, her sister to die and then was found mm-hmm. with a man she didn't even know in a motel however mm-hmm. long later, he, he, like, storms out and says, 
why do you have such a problem with that? Isn't that how I was conceived or whatever? Right. And then he storms out and then he gets drunk and then he shows up at the house. But before that happens, mm-hmm. we got to talk about Elvira. Well, we got to talk about Blanche realizes she's got to, she finds out or she finds that uh, Jane is forging checks and mm-hmm. she's like, I got to, I got to call for help. And Jane's out of the house. She doesn't know where she's gone. Just that she's writing these checks and spending this money. And right. it's like, it's not, not okay. So we see her struggle to get herself down these stairs. And she does. Drags herself over to the phone. And of course, as the phone, as she gets to the phone, Jane is coming home. And we're seeing the outside of the inside of the house, outside of the inside of the house. And I believe this is when Elvira shows up for the day and Jane is like you're fired <laughs> and she's like uh excuse me <laughs> I'd like to see Blanche and she's like no Blanche Blanche agrees you're fired you're not getting into the house and give me your keys and Elvira's like I don't have my keys smart smart Elvira and Jane's like well you need to return them at some point um but you need to leave now mm. um and then I believe she goes in and that's when she and she finds Blanche on the phone and she Beats the shit out of her. (laughs) This is when she kicks her in the fucking face. And she drags her unconscious body back up the stairs, ties her up, puts her almost in traction. She's like, she has the trapeze to help lift her up out of bed. And so her arms are tied to the trapeze and she's gagged. And she's gagged. So she basically can't move. I can't imagine this was even comfortable to recreate. In, In any way, yeah. No. And then. She goes back out because mm-hmm. she's, I think this, I don't know, I, I don't know where she's going, but she goes back out. And at that point, Elvira comes back and finds Blanche's door closed and is trying to get into it. Takes her a long time. And Blanche comes back and, or uh, Jane comes back and is informed by the neighbor because the neighbor wants to hire Elvira. And she's right. like, well... I don't care what what you do because I fired her. And she's like, oh, I just saw her. She's like, no, I I sent her away this morning or whatever. And she's like, no, I just saw her go in the house. And Jane is like, oh, no. <laughs> and so Jane goes into the house. Uh, Elvira confronts her, gets into the room, sees uh, Blanche tied up. And as she's, as Blanche is like, look behind you. But she's gagged, so she can't. <sighs> Elvira is attacked from behind by the, when she's trying to get into the room with a hammer and a screwdriver. And I'm mm. like, she's got a weapon in both hands. She's in better, she's in a better state than most black people in a, in a situation, movie. a horror movie like this. And then she puts both of those down and, uh, Jane does pick up that hammer and does kill and I love Elvira the, in front of Blanche. I love the scene. In the hallway before they get into the room. Yes. Elvira is very sharp. She yes. can't get through that lock on that huge old school door. It's amazing. So yeah. she goes after the hinges, which yeah. is a very smart thing to yeah. do. And then when, when Blanche comes upstairs and starts confronting her, you, well, Jane. Jane, excuse yeah. me, when Jane comes upstairs to confront her, she realizes that she's overmatched. This woman's angry and she's determined. Elvira is going to get into she's that room. She's going to get into that room. And she so, does get into that room. Right. So she opens the door, right, for her. She opens the door and she gets in the room. And the issue now is that Jane is the animal that's chewing its foot off to get out of the trap. It, yes. She realizes that if she doesn't do something desperate, 
she's, she's gonna fucked. she's she's in trouble. So unfortunately, she's fucked either way. Right. And she's decided to take Elvira with her, and she does. She kills her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that knight uses um Blanche's wheelchair to dispose of her right. body. Ziggy had something to say about it. Maybe don't murder your mates. Uh, and then a couple of days later, the police call to let them know that Elvira's missing. And Jane is shady as hell. <laughs> like, it's pretty clear that, like, there's no way that um, she's going to get out of this. So she's She's like, we'll go to the, we'll go to the shore. We'll go to the beach and we'll live by the beach and we'll run away from here and everything will be fine and they won't find us. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and at which point, uh, Edwin shows back up drunk as shit, escorted by a bunch of police because they're like, do you know this man? And he's like, I'm just trying to visit my friend. And she freaks out because at first she's like, oh, the police are here to take me away. And then she's like, oh, no, 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 he's my friend, which is wild. Uh, and then she uh, she gets them to leave him there mm-hmm. and the police go away. But then Edwin does find Blanche tied up. I don't believe she is uh, gagged anymore, but she is still tied up uh and he bounces and he makes it out alive probably because his head was too high for little betty j davis to reach with a hammer (laughs) also he's really staggeringly drunk yes so i don't think anybody's going to believe him and but that also motivates her just getting blanche out of the house yes um so she and she's almost in full regression at this point. She mm. doesn't. And I I want to. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that after. And she packs Blanche up and they go to the beach. And Blanche at this point hasn't eaten or drink it, drank anything in days. Right. She's been tied up. She's like, I'm dying. Not eating a parakeet or a, rat, a parrot. I'm not eating a rat. Yeah. So she's not eating. And she's been tied up for at least two days. Mm-hmm. So not drinking or anything. So she's dehydrated. Right. Um, and they, we hear, like, then they're at the, they go to the beach and, um, they're, they're out on the beach alone at night. And then the sun comes up and they're there as like all the people come to this beach, um, to go, you know, do a beach day or whatever. And we see some police and they're talking about how Jane is on the run with Blanche and they don't know if Blanche is still alive and they found Elvira's body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just like, well, it's a matter of time, but she's Blanche is probably dead. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what's happened. And, um, then Blanche basically makes a deathbed confession. She's, you know, bundled up on this beach. She can't move. She can't do anything. Um, she feels like she's dying. She, like she feels her organs shutting down, right? Because mm. she's dehydrated and starving. And she says, um, I'm dying. And I need you to hear me now. 
you did not do this to me. I was driving that night because you were too drunk and I would not let you drive. You got out of the car to open the gate and you had been mocking me, you know, all that night, but also every day of our lives up until then. And I was so full of rage that I put that car in drive and I tried to run you down and you fucking saw me coming and got out of the way. And so I hit that gate and did break my own spine. Uh, you freaked out and ran away. I dragged myself out of the car and staged that shit. So I did this to myself, which is, which explains why for however many 30 years or whatever, she was eating what this bitch cooked for her. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Jane's response is deeply terrifying. And she just says, you mean we could have been friends this whole time? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and then she says, I'm going to go get some ice cream. And she goes to get ice cream and the police are like, um, we would like to talk to you. And then she fully continues to dissociate and dances her way back down the beach, sort of ringed by people to keep her from running, but she's not running. Mm -hmm. She's she she's not even here anymore. Right. She is on a stage and she is eight years old. She does not understand what is happening around her, but she sort of pipers them, pied pipers them all back to where Blanche is. We don't know what happens to Blanche, but that is that is the end of the movie. That's credits. The 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 officers lean down to check on Blanche and Jane is dancing in a circle of onlookers, just eating ice cream and, and humming to herself. And that is the end of the movie. So what did you, what did you think? I mean, oh, I loved it. I thought yeah. it was fucking fantastic. It was weird as shit. I'm just <clears> like, who the fuck wrote this? This is, this is nuts. Um, I think it's prescient about child mm -hmm. actors. I think the fact that The fact that this movie came out in 1962 and Michael Jackson still went through what he went through is pretty fucked up. Like right. we we haven't done anything no, we about haven't it. Learned anything about it? Um, and 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 it's not fully tied into child stardom, right? Like mm -hmm. Jane clearly has other issues, the alcoholism and possible underlying psychiatric issues, but it's pretty clear that the way she was brought up was deeply damaging to her. Right. And we have not kept parents from doing this to their children every year since. Yeah. Like, <laughs> still putting them on America's Got Talent at eight because they need a Las Vegas fucking residency? What? Like, I just... It's wild. The 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 touches to Jane, specifically to the character, the... Um, the way that her hair is constantly in rollers and then towards the end you take, they take them out and it's those same ringlets right. from when she was eight, which she didn't have in the 1935 segment, which of course we're only ever seeing her from her, right. yeah. her past and Betty Davis didn't have those ringlets as a young adult, um, or a 20 some year old, whenever it was where they're pulling the footage from, 
Um, but she is like clearly fully regressed. And the way that she dresses is almost identical to that opening scene the whole time. Mm. Um, and her, as I said when I talked about it before, the way that she performs in such a dead-on um, aging of the performance of the, ch- the child at the mm-hmm. beginning... She's spectacular in this. Um, Joan Crawford, I think she is shown as an angel all the way up until the end when you find out, oh shit, she's the villain of this movie. I mean, she doesn't do, we don't see her, Uh we see her do one villainous thing. Two. One is when she's little in the 1917 part where she says, I'm never going to fucking forget what y'all mm. did to me. <laughs> like that is foreshadowing, right? And then we see that somebody slammed their foot on the gas and rammed something. And that was her. But as an, as a, as the Joan Crawford character, as Joan Crawford, she never does anything evil. I don't think that Jane deserves, well, she does. Uh, I don't think that when I believe it's AFI who listed her as one of the top fifty villains of all time. She's number forty four on the top fifty villains of all time, and I'm like, cool. Where's Joan Crawford's character? Right, in that? because she really she was manipulated into this position. She was, and, and she was made to believe uh-huh. she never, she couldn't remember doing this, and she didn't, she couldn't square the circle mm-hmm. of running her sister down. Like, right. she she didn't understand how she was capable of that. Yeah. And that's because she wasn't capable of yeah. that. And when you are presented with a version of yourself that you don't comprehend, that doesn't work well for your psyche long term. And this has been long term. This is 30, 28 years mm. that she is right. basically being gaslighted every goddamn day. Not not overtly, because we never hear Blanche blame Jane for being in this wheelchair. But Blanche never tells Jane it's not her fault. All the way up until she's about to die, she, she never does, does. at some point, try to talk to her about things, and yeah. Jane covers her ears and says, why do you want to, and very childlike, yeah. why do you always want to talk about the bad, bad things? T- bad things, yeah. Yeah. I only want to hear about good things. I'm like, wow, you are a child. The other thing is, um, there's a there's a part where Blanche is like, you wouldn't treat me like this if I wasn't in this chair. And Jane's like, but you are in the chair. Right. And the end of that is, and I put you there. Yeah. But of course, that's not true. So yeah, so she's gone through 28 years. Yes, she was a bitch as a child. Right. That's, she's been literally tortured though yeah for her entire adult life it seems life. On a, in a way like you want to say these two deserve each other but elvira certainly didn't deserve what she nobody de- nobody deserves right. what this is like this is this is one of those things where i i would point to it mm-hmm. and be like whenever somebody says they're family you have to mm-mm. no no, no, the you know deeply mm, in no. in your soul that that is not a thing. I right. I have learned unfortunately deeply in in my soul that blood family bonds don't mean shit. Right, <laughs> like they don't. They can, but in and of themselves, just there that is nothing. 
Yeah, there's nothing. You share DNA with these. So what? Yeah, you have to forgive them. No, the fuck yeah. I don't. Yeah, they didn't a, treat me like a person, so I don't actually have there's to. There's a. Um, and this is one of those th- mm-hmm. times where I'm like, that's a family that should have separated, and never had anything to do with each other once they became eighteen. Just go, just go live your life far away from the other one because you are not compatible. There's a series. Uh, well, there's a. I read some articles in in preparation for today's mm-hmm. podcast, and yeah, you sent me a a five page synopsis, and I was like, <gasps> from <laughs> film site. Um, <laughs> and in reading a number of these, I uh, I got a real sense of where it was in time. This is very much a film of its time and place. Yeah, it starts with vaudeville. It yeah. goes through movies in the thirties, then it goes through the the rebirth of those movies on television. Back when you had your your choices were older movies or soap operas. Yeah. And, you know, this is 1962, from the 50s to the 60s, even to the 70s, yeah. when I was a kid. You, they're called soap operas because they were used to sell soap, soap. Yeah. to housewives. Yes. And so... Yeah, were, which is wild. We don't mm, think about it now. It's like, it's separate. Right. Like, um, a, another similar thing that I, I think of are phasing out of Master Bedroom. Right. Oops. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, that means I mean, like the master of the house. Uh, uh-uh, we don't, we don't like that. There's, there's, um, there's a lot of the references to forms of entertainment or ways that people used to produce films or ways that mm-hmm. that probably have passed out of meaning mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But this was, as one reviewer said, it's like a, almost a conscious mixing of two different kinds of film. Sunset Boulevard came mm-hmm. out in 1950. Right. And that was about Nora Desmond, the silent yes. film star, living in her house. That's going to be a bumpy ride. That's that one, no, right? No, no. That's all about Eve. Oh, okay. But I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. I'm ready, DeMille. That's a great right, Okay. Right? So she's this mad woman living in yes. this, who's going to recover. She's going to revive her Revive career. her yeah. former glory as yeah. a silent film star. And you cast Gloria Swanson, who is a silent film star. Of course, yeah. And Cecil B. DeMille was responsible for making her a silent, uh, making her a sensation. Right. And he appears in the film too as Cecil B. DeMille. And that is a fucking tightrope because you do mm-hmm. not, you are humiliating the idea of this woman. Right. And you could very easily humiliate the actual woman. Right. Like, but she's, don't yeah. fuck this. And <laughs> Billy Wilder in that case was actually. Oh, well, it's Billy Wilder. He's very sensitive. With yes. It. Yes. Because he's trying to play her. She's still acting as if she's in a silent movie. She's doing all this acting. Which is the right. point. Opposite William Holden, who's a very modern actor. Right. Yeah. I mean, even when we're watching him in tight. The Wild Bunch, he's yeah. just very he's much a modern. Wild, a right. wild bunch. But yeah. he's a very kind of modern person. So that contrast is really interesting. But uh, anyhow, this reviewer said it's, it's like the producer saw the success of Sunset Boulevard, which is this. Story about Hollywood, essentially, as mm-hmm. as the snake that eats its own tail. Right, right. Yeah, or a trash compactor for right. talent. Right, just nom 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 nom. And he said, <sighs> it's as if you took that and you crossed it with Psycho, which was 1960. Okay. Which was these the strange relationship between the mother and the son, and yes. how it the yes, child the psycho right. psychosexual aspects of this movie are. Just bizarre. Strange, but also not a focus. Mm-hmm. They're present right. throughout. Whenever really uh, Victor Bono is on the screen, right. there's a weird psychosexual thing. Also, just Betty Davis's infantilism in certain points. There's 
there in in the kink community, little girl is like a thing. Mm-hmm. But you don't usually see it just in somebody's regular behavior. Right. You know? And it's it's disconcerting, especially compared with Joan Crawford's sort of button-down... And Joan Crawford's performance, and this is something that, that I was really struck with watching this film. Mm-hmm. Yes, she has a less showy performance, certainly. Yes. Um, but if you really go back and look at her performance, in particular scenes especially... Mm-hmm. She's always sitting upright. She's mm-hmm. delivering her lines like she's on stage. And at first I thought, this is Joan Crawford doing a Joan Crawford thing. Until I kind of realized, no, she's acting. She's doing the same thing. She's doing the same thing Jane's she's doing. She's performing. She's performing. Yeah. All the time. All and the time. so in the book, when it said, you know, that... she's all, It's almost right. like she sees a camera in front of her. Right. Just like Jane sees an audience in front right, of her. Right, because there's moments when she breaks from that, when there's nobody in the room and she's getting down that staircase. That's a very physical, yeah. you know, performance and, that and she's the, giving. And that her face... Mm-hmm. She does have a very tense, pulled up... Right. Um, taut look on her face most of the movie, and that it does fall away at it in right. those part points. Yeah, no, she's absolutely doing sort of the the other side of right. the coin. And so when I looked at that, I w- I thought to myself, okay, so she's much better here than I ever gave her credit for mm-hmm. because she's really pushing that kind of um that. She she's doing the as you're saying the mirror image of it. I'm going to be the sufferer. Right. I'm suffering, but she's also and she's right. doing it for an audience so, of one. But so that so Jane, Jane will suffer. She's yeah sort of twisting the knife all Every, the time. All the time. And the way that she appeals to Elvira. Yeah. And the way that she oh there's people who love me. There's people who love me. My fans look at the letters from my fans. She's doing this like she's rubbing salt into this wound. Uh huh. All the time. All the time. And so... She's a villain. They're both villains. Right. They should be both They're villains. They're both villains. Right. They're both villains. Mind you, I can understand why if there's audiences near to this film, you don't want to spoil it for them necessarily. No. I was like... Oh. I knew some. Like I said, as soon mm. as I saw Betty Davis serving Joan Crawford some food, and I'm like... We're supposed to believe that she ran into her on purpose and left her to die. Well, I don't know. We didn't know the left her to die part. But it is set up so that you believe that Jane struck Blanche with the car. Mm -hmm. Why are you eating anything this woman makes for you? I mean, the other thing is, I mean, Jane, rat poison, sprinkle at a time. You take her out way sooner than 28 years goes by. But, yet, but she wasn't trying to kill her because she can't square that circle because she's not a murderer. She's not a murderer. Until she is. Yeah. <laughs> because she definitely kills that black lady. Yes, Which is one of the does. stranger scenes in the film was there's a there's not a lot of comedy in this movie, but there are some very kind of, not like there was in the Dirty Dozen, where there's no. just like these weird comic yeah. asides. No. In this film, there's a sense of humor that's very dark. It's super dark. But um, it is, it is funny. It is camp. Like, I understand why mm-hmm. this is, like, I feel like this is a gay oh, yeah. touchstone, right? Like, it is. Uh, the camp in this movie, and it's not over the top. It's not mm-hmm. like John Waters' camp. No. 
But like the way that Jane makes herself up is bananas. Right. So and it's serious. One of the she's th- not it's not a joke. The stranger or the weirdly humorous part to me was the officers at the very end of the film. Yeah, yeah. Jane has dragged Blanche to the beach. She's yes. lying there in this dark dress. Yeah. She's making sandcastles with her yeah. you know, the so entire she's time. Like, right. She's like stroking her hair. And she's like trying to sing. There's to two her. officers sitting at this kind of ice cream stand. Yes, yeah. Who are just like, well, will we ever find her? I don't know if we'll ever find her. And she's right she's behind them, right there. This yeah. is Robert Aldrich being yeah. funny. And I was like, look, cops are useless. She's in <laughs> the same frame. She's in the, yeah, background, in the background, playing yeah. with seaweed, and they're just like, well, what if we never find her? Yeah. And then to have uh, the ice cream vendor. Yeah. Who's African-American? Yes. Oh, yeah. Who calls? Oh, I'm a colored. You found that colored woman? It's like... (laughs) I was like, oh, that's not better coming from a black face. Weird. (laughs) But what's even stranger is at one point, one of the beachgoers finds the car they're looking for. Yeah. Parked all wonky and weird. Oh, yes, because she. Yeah. And they go, and the cops go ahead and look for it. Is that the car? I and mean, it's. It, they're it's just like a utterly comedy clueless. Right. So, yeah. And so there's a tension in that scene. Yeah. And, and a lot of suspense. It doesn't last very long, though. No. Like that last bit at the beach is five minutes, right. maybe less. But, yeah. the, but it's like coming very fast, all this sort of like punchiness. Because by that point, Blanche is literally dying. And the cops are just clueless, with, yeah. and she's 50 feet away from them, yeah. maybe. Which I don't understand why she didn't just scream. If she could. Maybe she couldn't. She could barely speak. Maybe she couldn't. Yeah, she was, de- was severely dehydrated. Right. I guess screaming is difficult. But when you're literally dying and you see a cop, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that she scream. could see them because they were sort of That's like... That's true. She yeah. was like propped in a weird way facing the ocean. Right. But there were people all around her. That's the thing, too, is there are... Hundreds of people at this beach by the time that yeah. it actually uh, resolves. Yeah, it's 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 wild. It was I really liked it though, and it is thrilling. Um, this is listed. We were looking for the movie, right? Uh-huh. And this one is listed as a horror film, mm-hmm. which I don't know if I'd agree with. It's a thriller or a horror. It's right. one of the two. There's some pretty horrific stuff in here. Um, just psych- like psychologically mm-hmm. horrific. Um, but then there's a remake of this movie mm-hmm. that you thought was interesting because it it actually cast sisters. It yeah. cast the Redgrave sisters. Right. That one's listed as a thriller. So I don't. And know. It, that one was an interesting film because I saw that one years ago. Was that in the eighties, nineties? I think it must have been in the eighties. Okay. Um, and it's Vanessa Redgrave and Lynn Redgrave, and I almost want to see that one again because they they had to update it and they changed it some, and. In this case, uh, Vanessa Redgrave's character... 1991. She's, right. She's playing Blanche. And um, she is experiencing popularity because all of her films have been bought, the library of her films have been bought and released on VHS. Yes. And so that that was also very contemporaneous to the time, the way the original film was very, con- you know, yeah. told you a lot about the way that film worked in the 30s and also in the 60s. Yeah, it says, it is adapted to contemporary times, Blanche's film success taking place in the 60s instead of the 30s, her films being rediscovered on home video instead of television reruns. Jane had been a child film star replacing the original's vaudeville success. 
though her films were unavailable, leading to jealousy, right? Yeah. And that was a a very interesting, because I was unfamiliar with the story, but I'm really, I'm glad I saw it. It's almost uncomfortable how weirdly twisted this movie is. It is, it is not, it's it's not a fun watch. Right. Like, I'm not like, I, maybe if I saw it like three or four times, Mm -hmm. I could see it as a fun watch. Like, Stephanie was super excited when she, when she saw what we were watching and both of us were like, we've never seen right. this. This is really weirdly uncomfortable. And Everyone's relationships like, are strange. You've never seen this. I was like, yeah, no, never seen this. Right. Um, and I'm a little surprised I hadn't seen I mean, not really. I mean, there's so much stuff. There's so much to see. There's so much. Um, but yeah, what did you think? Thrilling? Yeah, I think so. It was, like I said, it'll take me a while to digest it. It was very uncomfortable at times and weird but those scenes like that scene when joe crawford is dragging herself down those stairs that is well there's it's you it's really suspenseful yeah it's really suspenseful and even those last five minutes at the beach to me are suspenseful (laughs) because there's this is she going to survive this and then you're like oh maybe she doesn't deserve to survive this yeah maybe she doesn't and Maybe the whole time she was the bad these guy. Officers are in the background, just sort of like yucking it up, and 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 doing this weird kind of car fifty four. Where are you, right. shtick? Uh, while a person is actively dying, well, the person they're looking for is dying. Actively dying, like right. within eyeshot. Right, guys. Yeah. Do you really need that ice cream cone right now? Yeah, and they're just you know sitting there. Oh well, I guess you know she's gone. She's off in the wind somewhere. Like oh, yeah, God. yeah, it's wild. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I will say this is this is basically our Halloween movie, right? Right. We're releasing this episode on the second, um, third, the third, mm-hmm. and uh, it did come out October thirty first, nineteen sixty two. Wow. So this is its sixtieth anniversary, wow. which is wild. It fucking holds up, though. Yeah. Like, it doesn't feel dated at all. I will also say, when I saw how long it was, it's 134 minutes. That's mm-hmm. two hours and 14 minutes. I was like, does it need to be that long? It doesn't feel long. No. It really doesn't. It goes. These people are acting their fucking faces right. off. And it really is, like, it felt fast. Mm-hmm. The watch of it felt really fast. Um. Yeah, Academy Awards. She Betty Davis was in fact nominated for Best Actress. Victor Bruno was uh nominated for Best Supporting Actor. It was also nominated for Cinematography, Black and White, Costume Design, Black and White, and Sound. And it only won the Costume Design. Mm. Uh, for the British uh Academy, the BAFTAs, Best Foreign Actress, both of them got nominated. Neither of them won. <laughs> Um, Cancelled each other out. It was nominated for the Palme d'Or and the Outstanding Directorial Achievement. Um, or yeah, it was nominated for the Palme d'Or at Cannes, and then the DGG um, nominated him for uh, Directorial Achievement. Didn't win. Um, so yeah, yeah, there we go. It must have been a hell of a year. Um. Ooh, here's a fun fact. The Japanese filmmaker Akira Kurosawa cited Whatever Happened to Baby Jane as one of his favorite films. So strange. But also, yeah, I get it. Um, 
So yeah. And now I am kind of a little bit like what I'd like to watch is mm-hmm. an episode of, of like a like a truncated feud. I don't need to watch eight hours about mm-hmm. them hating each other. But I'd like to dip a little in and see how they're portrayed and maybe even just the parts where we see them doing scenes. Yeah. And see how that goes with because it's Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lange. Jessica Lange, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it, it's uh, this started a, a whole trend, um, and it's politely called neither term is great, bitty exploitation. Um, which I just discovered today. In Does that mean old lady, like the exploitation of old ladies? Yes. I hate that. Biddy, I as hate it that. turns out, is a racial slur. I did not know oh, this. Oh, God. Sorry, it's everybody. A, we didn't know. I didn't know that It's a contraction of the word Bridget, the name Bridget. And uh, apparently was used by wealthy Americans, bankers, things like that, mm-hmm. who had a lot of Irish help during the potato famine. Oh, God. So there was all these older Irish women that were in their households, and they would call them Biddy as a contraction of the word of the name Bridget. Um, so, but it then came to just mean, you a know, a little old lady, right? But I didn't know that it was a slur for Irish people. I, That's which is, fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like you know, like the, the word gypsy. The other day, it's like, oh God, yes, I can't say that. That's a horrible thing. But um, the um, when I first found out about this film, and there's, it started a trend. There was Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, also with Betty Davis. Um. Who slew Auntie Rue? Whoever slew Auntie Rue was another one. The Shelley Winters. There was just this flow of films that were about were actresses that uh, were had reached a certain age who were then just doing these sort of horror films. And bless them, when I found out about them, they were called hagsploitation. Oh God! I mean, and these were terms given to them by male film not... critics, right? Well, of course they are, because um, of be- course, right? <sighs> but um, and it, it, I don't know that such a trend still exists, but I don't know. But you know what falls into it is like that Greta movie. Ah, I didn't think of that with um, hmm. the French actress. And Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Where the old lady is mm-hmm. the problem. You know what we fight against it with? Harold and Maude. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, we don't like that. Okay. Are we, are we, are you, are, have you said I've, all of the things I've you want to say? I think I've said all the things I want to say. Okay. So next week, we are going to talk about 1960s Sporadicus. <laughs> We're going to talk about Spartacus. Uh, I like Spartacus better. Well, so does Alicia Silverstone. So, that's a clueless joke, yo. (laughs) Before we do that, do you have anything you want to recommend? Um, Actually, I have not kept up with things this week. I am so sorry. I meant to. But I have not. Have you, well, you know what I have been doing? Okay, yeah. I have been reviewing. TCM has shown a bunch of older Hammer films. Okay. And some of your favorite. Five things. million years to Earth. And okay. Village of the Damned, and another the sequel to Village of the Damned, the '60s Village of the Damned, Children of the Damned. 
Um, lots of damn nonsense, but really fun movies. And so I haven't seen anything new because I'm catching up with, I really loved that, this kind of filmmaking. And with the exception of Five Million Years to Earth, which is the most fun, weird outer space movie ever that starts, uh, it has one of the best hooks of all time. Um, but the rest of the films are in black and white and they're this very kind of glacial, cold black and white. And Five Million Years to Earth is one of the Quater Mass movies. The, the character who directly inspired Doctor Who. Right. And he's a British rocket scientist. And that has, like I said, one of the best hooks I've ever seen. It's right after World War II. They're rebuilding London. Uh, a group of men are working in a, to work on a subway or an underground. And they find these prehistoric skulls. So the whole site comes shut down. Right. Then it gets shut down again because the prehistoric skulls are inside of a rocket. Ooh. A Martian rocket. Ooh. And it takes a turn into like the most... Is We've really... gone from archaeology to something else. Oh, and then something <laughs> else also entirely because inside the rocket is a pentagram. Ooh. And it just goes full Witch circle to where, like, what... By the end of this film, you're literally like, what the hell am I watching? And But it is so entertaining and moves so quickly that you just sort of take it as it comes. And by the end of it, it's like, okay, okay. that was something. <laughs> but, okay, so what do you recommend? I, I don't. I don't. Oh, my gosh. I didn't do anything. Um, I haven't really been watching stuff. I'm listening to a lot of Savage Lovecast, y'all. He's been making that show for like 800 and some episodes. Get on it if you haven't. It's really fun. Uh, yeah, that's literally all I've been doing is that and work. So. You know, I understand. Savage Lovecast. I myself am preparing for possibly joining NaNoWriMo. <gasps> I don't know if I will. However, it's... this By the time this drops, he'll have made the decision because this drops in November. <laughs> Yeah, I, just... I will be. Oh, here, that's another thing I can mm. recommend. Uh, wet hot American moon juice. Whoa. I know, I know, that's I know, I know. But that's the name of the show. It's a podcast uh, full of people that I know and enjoy. Uh, well, yes, one of those two things. Uh, who do NaNoWriMo every year, and I am going to be editing their show. I'm going to help them edit the show wow. this year. So congratulations. Um. You're so prolific. Am I? Yes. <laughs> so, Wet Hot American Moon Juice is my other not, uh, uh, recommendation because it's going to be, there's there's episodes out mm. now because right. it's November. So, yeah. yeah. So, you're thinking about doing it? I've done it before. Um, yes. And that's kind of what makes me think about doing it because I, I write all the time, but I'm just not productive because I'll rewrite the same yep, paragraph. You have to keep times. writing. You can't edit. Yes. That's not what NaNoWriMo is for. It is for putting 50,000 words onto the fucking page. And I don't know that I'll get to 50,000 words, but I certainly will just try to. I'll just write every single day until the end of the month and see what I have. And see what happens. Yeah. I but. bet you could do 50,000 words. It's not that many if you do it every day. You well, just basically write do it every day. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes, and, you could do that. And, and. I recommend us. I forgot the name of it. Uh, Scrivener. Yeah. We'll talk about it offline. Okay. I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, and what do we have next week? 
next week, Spartacus. Okay. Uh, he is Spartacus. No, he is Spartacus. With known sex pest, Kirk Douglas. We'll talk about it uh, when we talk about it. I know, it. it's going to be so hard to get through it this time. <sighs> so, until next week, if mm-hmm. you have questions or comments or concerns, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod. At Latecomers Pod, or you can find us on Facebook by searching Latecomers Podcast in the search bar. Uh, I will have just put out this month's itinerary, mm-hmm. which is what we've just spoken about Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Spartacus, Cape Fear, Fear Ridge, and The Sixth Sense. God, this is a really little good... bit of everything yeah. this, this month, and we look It'll forward to talking month. about all of them. Mm. Until next time, I want to remind you to please, please take your medicine. And I want to remind you not to be a sex pest. Not you personally, just whoever's yes. listening. Hey, everybody. Hey, pest. world. No sex pest. No sex pest. Um, and we'd like to remind you, better, better late, late than, than never. never.